Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I am one of your two hosts, Colin McFader, joined, as always, by Clark Coffey. How are you? I am doing fantastic, man. We had thunderstorms here last night. Oh, yes, yeah, 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 which is a rare thing. Which is guys. extremely yeah. rare. I think this is the first time that it <laughs> that it rained out here since maybe, like, January or February of this year. So, you know, right. like eight months or so. And uh, yeah, so I was out uh, running around uh, in, in the street, up and down the street in the rain last <laughs> night. <laughs> well, it rained um, here too. Less exciting. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you guys get rain up there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. but but yes, it was wonderful to get a little bit of rain. And uh, I, I miss weather having grown up in the Midwest. Of course, you know, I, I was used to seasons and big thunderstorms and even tornadoes, which are mm-hmm. pretty scary. Uh, but ever since I've lived out here in Southern California for the past, whatever it's been, 15, 18 years, some odd in there, uh, you know, it's pretty much like 78 and sunny every day. So mm-hmm. I uh, I miss seasons and I miss weather sometimes. So, yeah. Well, it's that... funny. Yeah, it's it's we've had a bunch of tornado warnings this summer for some reason, weirdly enough. So, yeah. Um, but... Without further ado, not to hark on the weather for too long, <laughs> um, today well, we are doing uh, the the nineteen eighty six classic. I would say it's a classic, um, the Fly, the Fly, Cronenberg. Um, that's right. Which is, uh, you know, I, I really love this movie, and uh, that's right. It's your I, pick. I assume you do. You you own it. And uh, yep, I like this film to too. It. Yeah, this was this was a pivotal film of my childhood. I don't even know. Did you know? I got so much into the weather and thunderstorms. I don't know if we even took note that this is episode forty five. Not that mm-hmm. it probably really matters, but just in case, it was important for you to know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, we could kind of dive in on uh, dive in then on our kind of uh, first experiences with the film. But yeah, yeah. you know this yeah. this film came out when I was ten, and I did not go see it at the theater. But you know whatever it took a year or two years for this thing to come out on uh, cable TV, there's no question that's where I saw it. I saw it many times. The extraordinarily gruesome body horror, the practical effects, the, you know, vomiting on people's hands and legs and dissolving them and Mm -hmm. all that amazing stuff and teeth falling out and pulling fingernails off. I mean, come on, what like 11 or 12 year old boys not going to love that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I love science fiction and horror. And this is basically a combination of those two things. Of course, it's more. Uh, we'll get into that later. But, you know, when I was 12, I didn't really see a love story or, you know, I, I really wasn't honing in on kind of the beauty and beast, you know, kind of mythic qualities of the film and wasn't really concerned too much about morality and science and, you know, all aging even because at 12, I didn't understand uh, kind of now the things I understand about aging at 45. I didn't know that back then. Mm-hmm. My body was young and everything was intact. <laughs> so that was even, you know, that was kind of obscured to me as well. So for me at 12, it was just like, this is awesome. Look how gross this is. So, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about yeah. you? No, I, I think it's great. Well, it's funny. I So I saw this for the first time. I was probably about 12. Um, and yep. I saw it at a film summer camp that i went to we watched it there um and nice. the reason was because we were talking about like canadian film and stuff like that and of course david Cronenberg's right. from toronto yeah movie is this movie's not ex- like it's shot and set in toronto but it's not is this you know, the first explicit. canadian directed film 
that we've covered in the podcast. I'm just trying to kind of remember. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is funny because we've done a whole bunch of the ones that, that kind of have related both geographically and kind of personally to your childhood. Yeah. Um, my own private Idaho, which is, you know, Midwest and stuff like that. And you having grown up in, in um, you know, just outside of St. Louis. Um, so it's funny that we haven't, you know, this is kind of, I guess, if anything, my response to that. Now that now we're doing Toronto nice. cinema. So, there you go. Perfect. Um, but yeah, so I, I saw this then and we were talking about how kind of, like, you know, I, again, it's one of those things that, that this movie feels very Toronto to me, even though, again, it's like you see the CN Tower a few times in the background and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, sights and stuff that I, I recognize, of course. Yeah. Um, but also just the feeling of it um, in a weird, hard to kind of describe way just feels very Toronto, the the, the city streets and the way that it's, it's, you know, just, I guess, for lack of a better term, the aesthetic of it feels very, very 80s Toronto. Huh, um, that, that's and, so and, interesting to me because I, yeah. you know, I, it's not something, I mean, obviously I didn't grow up in, in Toronto. So, you know, as a child that would have not, of course, would have clearly not been something that spoke to me, but it, it definitely didn't seem like it was any place specific to me, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially with so much of this film being interiors and, yes, you know, yeah. it's, it's not a very epic film in the sense that you you've got these big kind of sweeping landscapey exterior stuff going on. It's like very kind of intimate and contained and interiors. So that's interesting to me that to you, this like really speaks Canadian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it, it's, it's funny because that was kind of the, also the initial um, uh, reason that we, we looked at the film at that film camp. We were looking at kind of the way that like cities can have effects on films. And, and mm. you can kind of tell, I mean, like even though Toronto plays new york and plays so many different places so often because there's a ton of movies that are shot here um you know it very rarely is there a movie that's actually set you know or or like takes place in toronto and i think that that's one of the things that you can kind of like when i'm watching this like it's it's quite clear to me at least and again perhaps because i grew up here um that like it's not new york it's not supposed to be anywhere else it's it's kind of living in this this toronto dome which i think is, is kind of neat um for you know, the amount of stuff that's shot in, in LA or, um, you know, even again, the Midwest, we've done a, a few movies now that have kind of been centered right. on Rumble the Midwest. Fish. Yep. Um, and, and to, to kind of see a, a film and, and watch something where it's like, not only is it just a sight and, you know, seeing and things and going, oh, I recognize that, but kind yeah. of recognizing the, the character of like a city in, within a movie. And, yeah. you know, it's much more clear, I'd say, in other Cronenberg movies, like um, uh, Videodrome is, is like very explicitly set in Toronto and, and they discuss it and stuff like that. It's in, it's in the context of the film. Um, whereas this film is, is not so specific to Toronto that it's like it couldn't take place elsewhere or something like that. Right. Um, but again, it still kind of is, is neat to see a city kind of, you know, inflict itself onto a film yeah, especially when you're a kid and it's like yeah, you, you yeah. love film, like you loved film as a kid and to get to see your hometown, a place that you recognize, a place that you know uh, in a film is a really cool thing. I mean, yeah, on yeah. the rare occasions that happened to me when I, you know, when I was a kid, like, um, you know, I think like one of the National Lampoon uh, movies took place briefly in St. Louis and you can mm-hmm. tell and I think like planes, trains and automobiles, they drive through St. Louis or something or they're at Lambert Airport, you know, little pieces of moments where St. Louis would show up in a major motion picture and I'd be like, whoa, you know, or even mm-hmm. um, Chicago, a place that I spent 
uh, time in with my uh, parents. We'd drive up there and, and take weekends and stuff on occasion. And, you know, Ferris Bueller, when it came out, I was like, that's Chicago, you know. Yeah, yeah. So does, it's kinda, uh, yeah as a kid, it's neat, yeah. As a kid, it's neat. It's, if you love film and you don't live in L.A., uh it, it's 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 almost kind of makes it feel real to you you know at least mm-hmm. for me it would be like hey like you know wow it's uh that you actually like make movies maybe all over the place maybe i can do this you know kind mm-hmm. of made yeah. it feel a little more real well, exactly me. and that was like a big thing about the doing it at the film camp was like oh this is you know this is shot and of course cronenberg's from toronto howard shores from toronto they went to the same high school lauren michaels snl fame also went to the same high school but oh um, wow i didn't know that um but yeah so there's you know of course lauren michael's completely unrelated to this movie but uh no but that's kind of wild that that that, uh from the same high school i mean that's yeah yeah Yeah. wow um that high school has a drake went to that high school (laughs) oh my gosh um but no and aside from there's just one high school where all canadian famous pretty much from yeah (laughs) pretty much yeah um but aside from the the actual you know the geographic location of the film yeah um it's it i also like i i really think that it's it's like a in a very good way like a really like gross movie that the effects are incredible and that really impacted me as a kid sure um and just the i think the you know we'll get into this later when we discuss kind of the direction of the cinematography but but for starters, it is very like it's not a very flashy movie. There's nothing crazy with the, the outside of the effects. Of a, yeah, yeah, outside of the effects. Yeah, there's not like the camera's not you know there's no elaborate wonders. There's no there's some cool stuff they did um, which you brought up because of the BTS that you saw with the um, like motion, motion control, control and stuff yeah. like that. But it's it's a very in terms of direction, it's very um, I don't want to say standard because that almost sounds like it's a complaint. I, I think it's actually really, really well directed, but it's not flashy. Like it doesn't feel like Cronenberg's trying to prove anything, which is kind of relaxing sometimes in a, in a strange way where it's like, you know, you can just watch a film and the director's really putting the the importance on the the subject matter of the film as opposed to trying to show off with, yeah. you know, crazy camera effects or anything like that. So it's I direct. do really appreciate it's that. It's direct that as opposed to kind of, you know, it, it's not a like a lyrical meandering direction yes. it's like a yeah, very it's, kind it's of super efficient super efficient and direct yeah. yeah yeah and i i also um you know i so i watched this again rewatched this about a month ago um i'd say and mm-hmm. that was what made me decide that i wanted to do it for the podcast um because i i rewatched it for the first time in a long time and, and sort of thought like you know this is actually a really neat movie this is a like it's again like i just said it's really efficient the way that the story is set up in the movie is is kind of brilliant in my opinion um because of how simple it is and you know you just have this situation where it's like one line in the the script will describe motivations for characters Mm -hmm. in a very natural way which i think is brilliant um and it doesn't waste time with anything, but it also doesn't. Oh my feel gosh! Rushed. It doesn't the pacing waste time. Is is like really, you know, it's not like it's like boom, boom, boom. You're getting whiplash from how quickly the movie's, you know, moving. But it doesn't doesn't meander. It's, it's I mean, it's almost, really almost. Efficient. Though I, you know, I I missed one thing though. Can I can I take like a step back and mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is just like a, a funny story. So, like I said, I saw the film when I was probably eleven or twelve years old, and I'd seen it who knows how many times because you know how they are on cable TV and stuff. They'll play it over and over and over and over, and I'm sure you know back then it was like we had even with cable you might have like twenty five channels or something, you know, and only one movie channel. So I probably saw the film a dozen times, but it stuck with me <laughs> to the point where 
when I met my when I met my wife, we weren't married at the time, but we'd started dating, and I found out that she was scared terribly by horror films. <laughs> I <laughs> until she told me in no uncertain terms I better stop. I used to like run around the house and and try to use like Jeff Goldblum's fly voice, and I would be and I would be like, I'm Brundlefly. <laughs> <laughs> So what you're saying is that it's a miracle that you're married now. Well, it is definitely a miracle that I'm married, and especially married to such an amazing woman. Yes, that mm-hmm. is true. It's Me. interesting. I, I would assume that 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 uh, she would also possibly like this because of her medical. You know, I, I'm, I can't get. Her, I, I couldn't get yet. I, so okay, there's so no way that I could get her to see this. She, I think she caught pieces of it when she was a kid before I ever met her. Right. But there's no way. Like it is way too gross. Like she is. Like, I mean, this kind of body horror stuff. Uh, 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 That's like, really interesting, considering that she's you know. A, a I know. Well, she cuts people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She. She. Yeah. I mean, like actual real, real. Gore. You know, <laughs> gore, I guess, if you want yeah. to call it that. I mean, actual real human anatomy exposed, of course, doesn't phase her at all. She actually finds it to be quite beautiful. I mean, this is what she does. She puts people back together. But this, the body horror in this film, no way, dude. Yeah, I don't think I could ever get well, her you know to what? watch this. In the next time you guys are up here or if I'm down there again, yeah. um, I bet she'll do me the favor and I'll say, I really want to show you a movie from Toronto. You know, I really want, you know, Let's it means try so it. much for you. I, <laughs> she so won't be to able me. to sleep for a month, man. <laughs> but anyway, I just, but that just goes to show like how much this film stuck, stuck with me because I probably mm-hmm. hadn't seen it since I was 11. So flash forward, you know, 25 years when I first meet her and that was like one of my first ways to scare her was to and be like, funny. Brendelfly. <laughs> okay, that's really anyway. funny. So, yeah. so you were talking before I... <laughs> before i went down that path uh about direction we were talking about how how simple and kind of direct i i mean i have to even you know to speak to that a little bit watching it here um last night in preparation for this podcast i i was actually almost kind of jarred by how abruptly we'd pop into the story mm-hmm. i mean yeah like it's literally we we like fade in or i don't even think it's fade i mean we just like boom we we like jump into the story and it's like we've got Gina Davis and um Jeff, Jeff Goldblum talking, yeah. just just mid conversation or like right there it's like there's no establishing shot we don't have exteriors it's not like we're setting up who they are or where mm-hmm. they're at or what's going on it's just like boom we're in a conversation these two people right yeah we've got the, the opening credits which really set the tone musically again Howard Shore does a really great job with the yeah, very the title again, sequence is the, great. The, the title sequence is, is simple is a lot but, of booming music but it's yeah. but that music very rarely booms in the rest of the film but it really yeah. sets the tone for this kind of like tragic but also curious kind of um you know if you haven't listened to the score of this movie um, I recommend it. It's a really, really fantastic yeah. score in terms of, well, of, of, of evoking the theme and, and the feeling of, a, of the film. Yeah, yeah, this foreboding. And I got to say, too, you know, it's the the kind of, if you want to call it an effect, because it's barely even that, where we um, we have, we actually have it. I mean, I don't know exactly what they did. It almost kind of seems like a, we're looking at like an infrared or like a reverse kind of mm-hmm. of the, all the people at this convention that we end up, you know, starting the film into with Mm -hmm. uh, Gina Davis and uh, Jeff Goldblum just talking, their characters talking. But it's almost like we kind of see the movement of all of these people as insects. I don't know. Yeah, it's like almost like, and it almost reminds me sort of like a fly vision in a way of just like this really simple. But it's very simply done. It's just kind of like a false color or kind of like it almost, like I said, it almost kind of reminded me of like a night vision camera or like an infrared Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, that's not what they did. 
yeah, not what yeah. they did, but it kind of sort of trying to describe it. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. but like I said, it's I was almost kind of jarred, you know, because I, I, you know, in today's day and age, you know, where film grammar has kind of, you know, it's always evolving. And, you know, I think if this film were to have been made today, and now maybe if Cronenberg made it, he still would make it this way today, but because he's he's pretty much does his own thing. But I imagine if like many other directors who are working today, if they directed a film like this, I mean, we'd have some, you know, we'd have almost like a teaser, right? Like a pre-credit action scene. We'd have some kind of, you know, we'd have to have this elaborate kind of thing to set up who these characters well, it, are. It, and it's where funny that you mentioned that because there's so I just actually recently saw um, in theaters the James Wan horror film the new one malignant okay um, which i thought was I've not seen, it's yeah. very dumb but it's honestly <laughs> quite fun it's okay. essentially it's hey, quite enjoyable okay. yeah. but it opens on this pretty much completely unnecessary um uh like kind of again like that action scene almost like the like the, that there's this like breakout at this lab and there's yeah, this, yeah you know and i feel like if it was done today this movie it would start with it would be like scientists experimenting on something and it would break out and kill one of the scientists and then they'd have to like well it would probably start with the baboon i imagine so yeah, I call, yeah or the I call baboon, this, exactly i call this the james bond open because right james yes, bond films open, yeah. have made this right this is you've got the 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 like the teaser action sequence mm-hmm. and I totally imagine what we would have would be this like slow reveal of like the tripod or the the telepods, I mean, and we'd have the baboon in it and we wouldn't quite know what's going on, but we'd see like, oh, there's this baboon that's going into a a pod. What's this? And Mm -hmm. we'd have this kind of setup and it would be like super dramatic and like, you know. Uh, all this kind of and then you know we'd kind of in, be introduced to Goldblum's character to Brundle he'd be at his computer and da, 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 you know and the, like the big thing would be right the teaser and it would establish in. that maybe he's like funding is getting like they're like we're gonna cut your funding if you don't yeah yeah you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. all the stakes yeah. and, and and then boom you know we have this like big reveal that the baboons in he's teleported inside out and we'd yeah. have you know yeah. ah, and then it would like cut to credits or you know or the opening title sequence or something I mean mm-hmm. then, I but it doesn't do any of that yeah no it which is also funny because when I was you know again I and I really like that when I was doing Daylight again and when I was writing it a mm-hmm. few of the earlier drafts of the script also had like this cold open like this kind of big like yeah scary almost like horror sequence at the beginning that was unrelated to the rest of the film but kind of set up like a few of the things um, yeah and and I you know wind up we wound up cutting it because I realized like, Hey, it's, it's not necessary. It doesn't really like it sort of comes back but it's not necessary yeah um, and B I almost like starting the film as simply as possible and, and and almost giving people like a taste like it's almost like you need i heard a really good example of it or a really good description of it which is that you need a a, a, a entry point into the fantastical so yeah. you need to start in a place where people sitting in a theater or at home are in their world with this movie which we are at the beginning we're just mm-hmm. with people yeah and then super, you need to get yeah, you need to normal. build this thing which i think is really a good way of like sucking people in and, and getting people to buy the scientific elements of the film well, it's and even confident. just um yeah and and but even just the you know the way that this movie establishes things like motive and mm-hmm. that they're driving gina davis and jeff goldblum are, are driving back to his lab after this party like this like five minutes into the movie and he just has this kind of throwaway line about how like he feels sick in the car and that he hates transportation. He hates vehicles and mm-hmm. stuff like that. He always gets motion sickness. And it's like right there, you've just established, okay, that's why he built these the telepods because well, he that's why we sick. all and do it's like right such an efficient efficient way of, of you know exactly we all build teleportation. i mean you know it's like I, hey i get motion sickness <laughs> i'm gonna invent uh, teleportation I, yeah 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 the necessity and, is the mother of invention of course but yeah no, you're, you're so right I, just, I think it's like really really Very a great fact. way of um 
of like, and even that, like you don't necessarily need to have him have a motivation for building these telepods, but it adds this level of depth. And I actually really only noticed it the second time that I was watching it mm -hmm. where I was like, oh, that's actually such a great just line to sneak in there and kind of have like, we've just learned so much about this character instantly that he doesn't like transit so he doesn't like vehicles he doesn't like moving he's like he gets motion sick so that's why he's so this is like a really personal thing for him and it kind of just adds this layer of, of depth to well and, this project and cronenberg lets you make that connection so yes because exactly, because yeah. i think a lot of times the way this would have maybe been handled would have been like this like you know uh gina davis's character would have been like oh so that's why you uh, developed your teleportation device, huh? Like there would, mm -hmm. like they would have like taken there would have been extra a line step afterwards. Yeah, that would have like made it just too much on the nose. You know, it just it would have yeah. gone like that one last step where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, um, that often happens, um, but mm -hmm. but it doesn't happen here. Um, no, yeah, no, so and I, I think it's like really. It's just to me that's like that's that's for a movie that's so efficient. That's really a great you know prime example of how the story is told in this movie where it's like it doesn't beat you over the head with anything it doesn't beat you over the head with themes except for or gore. anything it, it, it but it beats exactly, you over the head with gore. The, <laughs> yes yes definitely i mean and another gross thing out incredible gross out gore like yeah. i mean one of the things that i was surprised about you know obviously when i was 11 12 when i saw this film this was not something that that i noticed at all um i mean I, obviously i'm focused on totally different things when i'm that age uh, but I was surprised at how, I guess, small, uh, and I don't mean that in any kind of negative way, but how small the story felt, how few characters there are, how few locations mm -hmm. there are, how, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, I think the budget was about 9 million, which, which definitely would have been a low budget film even then, especially for a science fiction film with a lot of special effects. So, you know, definitely, mm -hmm. and I'm sure. Good, good looking special effects. And, and yeah, yeah, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Trust me, we're going to talk about the special effects. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a, like the entire episode. Because as, <laughs> yeah, as a huge fan of practical effects uh, myself, I mean, we are at the zenith of practical mm -hmm. makeup effects in this film. We're, I mean, they won an Academy Award. I think Cronenberg's only for special effects. Um, obviously, he didn't yes. do the special yeah. effects, but I mean, the film won an Academy Award for special effects. But we're going to definitely get to that. But I just, I, mm -hmm. I was kind of surprised, you know, and it kind of falls in line with like, you know, the direct and kind of straightforward direction. Um, it just feels, I mean, almost even claustrophobic. I mean, there's very little exterior uh there's very few characters there's like three major locations we're in and they're small there's yeah. every space is kind of tight and crowded and kind of you know um it, it just like yeah there's like three major locations and maybe three major the, players the plot's too. very simple it's not yeah. like we have some big convoluted plot we don't have like like you had just mentioned a minute ago you know probably if we if this film were made today you'd have like you know the the the, the whoever is funding this would be part of the picture and there'd be some like outside organization putting pressure on him to get this done you know but there's none of that like we don't have any there's there's almost no outside world there's like mm -hmm. which is no, which is also funny because the sequel the fly 2 which is directed by the visual effects guy which um, i have not seen wallace yeah. chris wallace um that one gets into that like it's yeah. like the the corporation that's funding his science project is like this big bad mm. you know like mm -hmm. thing that's like they're like oh we want the genetic they're kind of they kind of turn into like the wayland corp from the aliens yeah from aliens um, yeah 
but um, but this one, yeah, there's none of that, you know, and the only real mentions of them is that that they fund him and that they don't like it's kind of almost funny that it's almost like a subversion in the way that he sort of says like, yeah, they don't really care because I don't cost well, a lot of and money. He, he just says, he's like, I, I don't, I'm not the genius. I just like, I just yeah. like ask somebody to build me like an atom D molecular, whatever, you know, he yeah. just makes up stuff. And I just, I, and I just get parts from all these other people who are geniuses and they don't know what I'm doing. And I put it mm-hmm. together and I made this, you know, it is, it's kind of funny. <laughs> the, only, the only other mention of the, 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 the corporation in the movie is the fact that the party that they meet at right at the beginning is like that, that corporation's party, like they're having like a so now that like you a little ju- exhibit yeah so now that you said a, a, you mentioned the aliens franchise I, I i just had a thought can you imagine for just one moment a crossover film between the fly and aliens franchise where oh you, man or a cronenberg <laughs> alien movie, <laughs> or, or a cronenberg alien movie exactly but i was just imagining like oh, yeah. what, what happens if you if you combine a xenomorph and a fly what if you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> well, it's also you know what's funny about this movie is that there's like and and I'm you know I'm not as as you know and as we've kind of spoken about I'm not a huge like I don't really go in for superhero movies or things like that right. a lot. Yeah, but Me I either, find so that like a movie like this, if you were to present like superhero films in this body horror kind of way, I feel mm. like they'd be so much more interesting. Um, you know, like you could almost have a movie about this guy that like wants to turn himself into like, the, like I'm the human fly and it's yeah, like this yeah, tragedy. Yeah. Where, and so, which is why, you know, I think that that's one of the things where it's, you kind of look at it and you're like, there's so many interesting ways to go with movies. And it's kind of a shame that so many movies these days are just very, very well, standard. You, none of those of movies term. can be R rated. So that's right off yes, the bat. Yeah. That's, that's the issue there. Disney and Marvel are never going to make an R rated film because of course it limits your audience. That's never go- ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. So nobody, with the exception actually, of like the Deadpool movies, but those are more comedies anyway. So yeah, and, but they're, um, but you're never going to have like actual like body horror, like yes, damage, yeah. trauma, like, you know, people don't really get hurt. They do you know, they kind of just vaporize or disappear it's like very sanitized you know it's actually kind of interesting too that that you know and i didn't even make this connection before i made that point but that um i don't know if you remember i didn't see the movie but in 2015 i think there was a fantastic four movie that came out i did um, not and see it was it. directed by josh trank who did chronicle which was like this this kind of indie sort of found footage movie about these like kids that get superhero powers and then mm. things go wrong and they, it's it's almost <laughs> like a metaphor for like school shootings is, is like the allegory of it oh interesting um and so then he wound up doing this fantastic four movie and it was it's kind of one of the famous you know recent examples of like horrible horrible studio interference where like the studio interference was so bad that the director josh trank was like showing up drunk on set every day because it was like such a horrible experience for him and stuff like that so um, but the reason that the studio interference was so bad was actually because his initial pitch to do the movie was to make the Fantastic Four in a fly-like way. Like he actually oh. cited the fly, and I didn't. I just remember that as we, you know, in the past two seconds when we were talking yeah. about this. Yeah. But he, and so what's just interesting, he was like, I really want to focus on like the body horror elements because, of course, the Fantastic Four, if you don't know. Their whole thing was that, like, they get, like, radiation, as I think most superhero origin All of them, right? Are. You get bit by a spider. But, like, it's like he, they you... get, like, radiation from the sun, and then suddenly yeah. they start, you know, the one guy turns into the rocks and the other into the fire. <laughs> so it's, like, all this stuff, and he was like, I want to make this movie about these, like, people that have that happen to them where it's all about the body horror. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. that, that's that what would it really be... would be, right? Yeah, because to me, that you... would be really interesting, but the studio, of course, didn't I want mean, that. I think they about this for a second. Superheroes if, if, and stuff, if, so... 
if 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 this were like realistic like i mean if it were actually real right like if, if something you were irradiated or poisoned or something i mean obviously this or is teleported a with a teleported with a fly <laughs> Tele- teleported with a fly <laughs> and i mean you woke up the next day and your body was like actually physically changing morphing fast enough that you know it's like i mean it's already bad enough just the regular aging process which Mm -hmm. you know uh obviously that's a theme in this film and it's one that i recognize now at 45 that i never recognized when i was 12 but i mean this film i mean i'm not kidding like i watched this film and it's it is like so visceral this feeling of like his you know teeth falling out his fingernails falling out now obviously i've not that had that happen to me although i i have had to had a few root canals and uh crowns so i've i close (laughs) on the teeth Mm -hmm. thing close on the teeth thing but i mean but it it like life is i mean there is kind of a feeling like that you like look in the mirror and every day you are watching your body disintegrate slowly. Like it is mm-hmm. falling apart. Your body is literally falling apart and there's nothing you can do about it. And and that's just the regular aging process. Now, if you actually happen to be unfortunate enough to to get a disease or disorder or, or are disfigured just through like trauma in life or whatever, I mean, it, it you know, it's wow, man, you know. Um, so that already happens. To yeah. everyone, yeah. to all of us. Now, imagine if that happened to you over the span of like a night instead of, you know, 30 years. I mean, yeah. none of these films insane. actually, yeah, none of these films actually grapple with the reality of that, you know, uh, except for this one. Um, yeah, and, and, that, and that's exactly what I mean is that it's like it's a shame that studios are so dead set on on this. Because I, I genuinely think that if you made a movie like that, I think that it would do really well at the box office specifically because people would be like, holy crap, I've never seen anything like this. I've never, yeah. you know, or, or if even if it's never, you know, com- not completely entirely original, in the very least, it's like this is so refreshing. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think it shows that a lot of movies that have a lot of, you know, craft put into them that, that are, are well made and, and are different enough um they do tend to honestly do quite well. Usually, they they yeah. if, if they're good, they they you know. Well, it's interesting. It's an interesting. It's an interesting concept, and I think too, just you know, to bring it a little bit back more to the fly here, it's like, you know, it's funny. You think about like for most of us, not all of us, but most of us, you know, the disconnect between our minds and our bodies is pretty profound. We don't know what's going on inside of our own bodies, like. You, you you know, we have no awareness of like the in- internal movements and mechanizations inside mm-hmm. our body, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, and, and we're ter- like uh, underneath our skin, most of us are terrified to see our bodies or experience mm-hmm. our bodies, right? I mean, if, if you're seeing your bones or your muscles or your fat or like some other part of your body, like something's gone wrong, you know, yeah. like that is not yeah. a good thing. And it's so weird that we're like, you know, it's this whole mind body duality kind of thing. But we're like these just walking meat bags full of like flesh that grosses us out. It's our own body. Yeah, and that just completely self-regulates itself. And <laughs> it's, sometimes it's, that goes wrong. And and, well, always you know, it goes wrong yeah. eventually. I mean, yeah. all oh, of yes. our bodies yeah. go wrong eventually. Or, you know, I guess I don't know if you call it go wrong because it's just the way of nature. But I mean, so it's just, you know, I think this idea of like our bodies being alien even to us mm-hmm. uh, is is, I think... Is, it's it's so interesting to watch Brundle go through that experience here in this film as his body... I mean, that's the thing that stood out... One of the things that stood out the most to me was... And maybe... And this is, you know, my own kind of personal, you know, obviously, 
my own kind of attachment to it. But I, I, that's where I kind of related to it the most, I think, was this feeling of like my body is like alien even to myself, even though yes. it is me. But yeah. but is it me? You know, and we don't we don't know. We don't even you know the whole mind body duality kind of thing and where the seat of our consciousness is and all this kind of stuff. They're interesting questions, but it's like our own bodies are freaking alien to us, and and they will get more alien to you as you age, and and they will betray you ultimately in the end. Uh, I think is a really interesting. Uh, is a really interesting thing to explore, and I think this yeah, film does it really well. And the desperation yeah. of of um, of Brundle, you know, to he feels his humanity obviously escaping, and his desperation to try to. I mean, he even says, you know, I, I help me become more human or human mm-hmm. again, uh, to the point where he's willing to put, you know, this woman that he loves, uh, her life in what will almost certainly be grave danger because. We've already seen how crazy things happen with the telepod. So, well, you know, I mean, that's and that's what I think is a really, you know, even just the kind of metaphor in this film for like disease as well, which is this this personality changing element of it. Where mm. you know, because I, I oh, remember yeah, when yeah, I was yeah. a kid, and my my grandmother had um, I can't remember what type of cancer she had, but she was on like a lot of medication for it before like she died. Like chemotherapy and yeah. Yeah, and, and it like it completely, you know, they don't remember people around them and their personality mm-hmm. completely changes. And it's like the same thing with something like Alzheimer's or mm-hmm. dementia yep. or something like that where yes. it's like your personality. And, and that I think is like one of the really frightening parts of this movie is just how you can see, and I think Gina Davis especially does an, a brilliant job with the reactions to it where it's like this... Yeah this desperation to just like want to talk to the person that they used to be and knowing that that person's never coming back. And you can see that like every single time she visits him after, after, you know, the accident, um, and he's getting worse and worse and worse. And then you, you finally, you know, meet this person who's no longer in any way what was, what he was. Yeah. And, and, you know, even when he's like talking to her, um, I think it's one of the last times she's there where she's trying to tell him that she wants to get the abortion and he does this whole like kind of little mini monologue about like you know insect politics and how it's like insects are oh. brutal and ruthless and he's like if you don't leave I I, don't, I, will like, hurt I you. might hurt you because yeah. he has he's losing control yeah and so it's this really really you know tragic like it actually is kind of heart wrenching um, on top of and, and I think that's the thing is like I don't think this movie would be made today by a major studio and I think if this movie was made today. It would probably be a smaller studio and they would probably focus entirely on like the gross out hot body horror stuff and mm. throw out all the emotional elements of it. And, it and the just love be like story. A, it would be lo- like I mean, a human centipede, right? Like talk- it would be, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, it would I just agree. be this like this, this, you know, oh, he's turning into the monster and he's going to rip people apart and kill them. Whereas yeah. I think what makes this film so tragic is that it really is, and it really does, I don't know, intentionally or not, harken back to kind of like the universal monster movie thing or like king kong where it's it's still this like tragic beauty and the beast kind of love story like you mentioned where it's you know there's this there's at the end of the day you still even when he is completely transformed and and melded with the pod at the end because of you know his attempt to to fuse himself with gina davis goes wrong and he crawls out and he puts the gun to his head that she's holding it's still like you're still sitting there feeling so much sympathy for this big time this care it's like oh my god and, and yeah. i think what's amazing is that you know the the film's runtime is only um it's only what about an hour and a half an hour yeah. it's 96 minutes and i think that that works really in its favor not because it's quick and again it never feels like it's rushing but i think the fact is like by the end of the movie when it when he comes out of that pod and he puts the gun to his head 
And, you know, the film, like, of course, spoilers, but she shoots him and, and you're sitting there and you're like, holy crap, this just happened in like an mm. hour. Yeah. Like, I think that's what's really remarkable is that you feel the speed at which this 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 transformation well, took place. Well, and that's what focus gives, you know, we, we were talking, I mean, that's another word. We, we, we used words like simple or direct or small mm-hmm. or intimate, but focused is maybe even the best word to use. The story yes. is focused. Yeah. It's efficient and it's focused. And it, you know, it's not worried about the scientific politics of like how he's funded and how, you know, da, 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 da. Like, the sci- like trying to worry about explaining the science of it too much or all this other crap that a lot of other movies would put in. It's mm-hmm. extremely focused. It's focused on, uh, for the most part, it's this trifecta of characters, which is this love triangle. And you've got this really beautiful thing that happens here, which often, which is not utilized very often in films, where we have kind of a love triangle. We have uh, Seth Brundle as the protagonist in the beginning, and we have... Um, oh, I've got a free. Uh, it's John Getz's character, and I'm I'm blanking on his name, but John Getz's uh, character. Stathis, yeah, that's right. It, it's kind of set up as the antagonist uh, mm-hmm. with with this woman in the middle, um, who is uh, you know, and he's it's like they're they're he's kind of like their dirtbag boss. Yeah, yeah, he's and it's like he's kind. I mean, he's this he's you know rude to her, and he's you know he's cheesy and kind of misogynistic even, and like hey, let's like get it on, even though mm-hmm. we're not you know. I mean, he's like this. Almost like this '80s kind of corporate, you know, slime. Reminds guy. me a lot of the guy from Ghostbusters. <laughs> oh, um, or, what's his name? Um, the the guy with the beard from Ghostbusters. Or, the yeah, I can't think of him, but he almost or or maybe like one of the guys from RoboCop. We did that. Yes, movie. You know, yes, one of the, in the board corporations. Room, one of yeah. the one of the board. A very guys. very cliche '80s cliche. Yeah, 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 and and so we've got this kind of set up, but over the course of the film, and it and it's more complicated than this because I don't think it's not just that um, Brundle becomes the antagonist, although it, you know in many ways he does obviously, um, but we have Get's character actually redeems himself he actually rises to the occasion he actually turns from this like sleazy kind of antagonistic guy who's like pitching fits about being left by gina davis and it's clear that he deserved it i mean it because they're, they're representing him as this like you know not a nice guy at all mm-hmm. and won't let her move on with her life after she's you know she's decided i don't want to be in this relationship and he keeps trying to push it um he actually sacrifices his his hand, his foot, and he saves her life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's just we almost have this like this really interesting reversal. Well, now, it's, it's, what's interesting too about that is that I I find like perhaps the most you know intriguing element of it is that it's it's not even like it's still there's like a lot of like blurred morality there too. Where for it's sure, like his you know his motivation going in isn't super altruistic, but at least in my reading of it, it almost seems like he's just going in to kill Seth. Like he comes in with a shotgun and is like, you know, like it's almost this, this still taking this character who is like, like you said, misogynistic. And he's sort of like going in and being like, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to kill the thing that just yeah. stole my, like the girl that belongs to right. me. Yeah. And so it's, so it's in, so you get this, this element that it's like, you know, you're, you're, he comes in and, and of course as you said he loses his hand and his foot and 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 then you you realize you're like oh my god this is like it, I think it's a really brilliant choice on the part of Cronenberg's because you you kind of take a you know almost a double take and you're like hang on am I feeling bad for the the guy who spent this entire movie trying to like sleep with Gina Davis and saying you like, definitely are comments. feeling bad for and, him and you're sitting there and you're like you're like oh my god yeah and suddenly you realize like this is how bad Seth has gotten. 
not, well, not even Seth anymore. Can it's I just say that it's point. like one of the grossest? It's like a it's a a pair of the grossest scenes in yes. almost any yeah. movie when he because yeah. because they've set this up right. You've got in the beginning of the film, or you know, at, in the beginning of Brundle's transformation into Brundlefly, you see him regurgitate onto a donut. Yeah, and and we all know this too. Like it's like every kid learns that like flies vomit on their food to digest it, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and and we all know it's gross, and that's why when flies land on your food, you're grossed out because you know what they're doing. It's disgusting. Yeah. So we all have kind of this aversion to that already. Um, we know that's like diseases are spread by flies, and eh, right? Eh, nobody likes flies. But you've got this setup where it's like we show him regurgitating on a donut, and then he even makes this video where he's like documenting now this is we don't i don't want to get too off sidetrack here but we actually have kind of interesting thing where this was in the beginning where people were kind of you know camcorders were consumer you know video machines were available people started recording their daily lives their family events this is interesting because this film is kind of at the beginning of that so he's kind of making his own documentary right and he's describing how during his change he now cannot consume food by eating mm-hmm. it he has to regurgitate on it and then and then eat it after it's and been digested suck it up like of, a straw yeah so it's this whole long setup i mean it's this long long like movie long setup and then at the end you've got him regurgitating on his hand and his foot and it's like Oh, I mean, I yeah, like it, it gets me viscerally to this. Oh, it's like, really, ooh. and it's like the foot's like it's like acid and it's melting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, and yeah, it's, it's that like, bit and the fingernails that really get me in the movie. Oh, the, the I can't watch the are, fingernails. Like, oh, I always I, squirm. I can't. Oh, yeah, but it's but it's and it's the effects again. Like when I say that these effects are the reason they're so visceral is because they look so real, and for a movie that was made on this budget, this yeah. nine million dollar budget. Um, like even back in in eighty six, it's incredible that that you know this is you're, well. It's to, a man to compare it. Suit. Like this is a movie that came out a year after Back to the Future. Yeah, right. I, so it's not it's not like eighty six is that long ago in the grand scheme of things. Well, but I, it is it is pre CGI, obviously. Yes, obviously, yeah. it's it's about a decade before CGI would start to be well. Or in Jurassic Park ninety three kind of brought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 I just want to say to this day, and like I get on a soapbox here for just a second, but I watch this film, and you've got a you know man in a rubber suit, and that's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. Now it's like seven stages. I think they only used six of you know extraordinarily complex you know man in a rubber suit stages and i mean Mm -hmm. but i still think this looks better and the performance is more moving and captivating and emotive with goldblum a good actor actually there and gina davis actually looking at this actor who's made Mm -hmm. up in this suit and there's like a real response to real things that are really there is so much better than the green blue screen, you know, acting to a tennis ball CGI crap that we get nowadays. I just, I mean, I feel like this is head and shoulders above that, and this is, you know, how thirty five years ago. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and 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 that's what the shame is that you. There's so many movies like that that deal with body horror in this way, like The Thing. And yep, um, another you know, classic. When, and every single time that they've tried to either do like a sequel or a remake or anything like that, even the Alien movies, the new Alien movies, where they're all CG and stuff like yeah. that, there's something so 
again, I, I don't think you can ever replicate, like you can get the most incredible skilled technicians on a computer to write the most incredible algorithms that, that di disperse the light the way that real stuff would disperse the light. But I think you're still missing a part of it, which is the actors mm -hmm. and their performances. And, and just the, the fact that I also always think it's, it's always, I can never stand the idea of people just saying, well, CG is easier because so what if it is, you're not making movies like you're supposed to be having fun making movies. Why are you? Right. It's like, it's like you're when I'm on set, I want to, I want to have, I want to have a big fly puppet covered in slime yeah. and stuff like that. Like that to For me is sure. what filmmaking is not being like, well in, you know, in, in post we're going to CG this thing in because it's easier. It's like, who cares? Yeah. You know, it, it might be easier, but is it as fun? Is it as creative? Is it as engaging or challenging? No, it's that that's to me is what filmmaking is about. And I think Cronenberg especially has, you know, you watch so many of his movies, even his earlier films that are even lesser budget, that have, you know, none of the really, like this was, of course, distributed by 20th Century Fox and produced by Brooks Films, mm -hmm. uh, Mel Brooks Company, which is the same company that did the, the um, Elephant Man, which we did a few episodes ago. Right. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, his earlier movies where he has similar effects. Um, like Scanners, the head scanners, explosions. The head, awesome. Yeah, exactly. Or some of the really neat effects with the TV in Videodrome and the, yeah. the, the like the stomach stuff in that. Um, and it's, it's, I think that you have a director, David Cronenberg, who really just likes that stuff. And I think that's why it looks so good because it's not a tool or a task for him where he's like, oh, I've got to make this look good because otherwise the audience isn't going to like it. I think part of his joy is making it look good. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to spend as much time as I can on making this look really incredible. And it, it serves the movie so unbelievably well. Um, and, and again, like this, if, if it's suddenly halfway through the transformation, you know, it's like, okay, you've got makeup, 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 which is probably how they do it today. And then suddenly it would switch to a CG right. thing. Like there'll be a point where it would switch over. You'd have a replacement. Um, yeah. That to me would, again, it would, you would feel it. You would just, you would get the feeling that, okay, now Gina Davis is looking at a tennis ball on like a, a stick. <laughs> like, you know, you would just suddenly have this, this, this feeling of, you know, okay, that's, that's no longer, I, you know what? I've always yeah. also sort of said this. And though I think the reason that Jaws, despite the fact that the shark doesn't look very realistic, um, or the fact that practical effects, you can often tell that they are practical effects. Um, I think one of the reasons that actually works in favor for movies and, and works so viscerally and why Jaws still so, works so well and why this works really well is because despite the fact that you can tell that it's a puppet or it's an animatronic or it's whatever, that's part of it. It's uncanny. And I think that that's what makes it scary i think mm -hmm. the reason that the shark shark and jaws is scary is not because it doesn't because it looks like a real shark but rather quite the opposite that it doesn't look like something out of nature it looks like a monster but Same it's with this. there though but you can tell and exactly it's there and, in it's, the and it's there and yeah. and whereas if you if you look at like a modern shark movie or a movie that has effects like this that that are all done by cg their focus is on doing it as realistically as possible so yeah. a new shark movie they would make a, a great white shark look photorealistic and it's like well that's not scary because or it's less scary because that's just something that you could see out in nature yeah. it's no longer a monster it's just an animal whereas when you have things like this that are that are still there's that uncanniness about them where it's like it's it it looks real and fake at the same time it's it's incredible mm. makeup skills i feel like that to me is one of the things that makes these things so unsettling is yeah. that you can't quite tell like Oh, that's that looks so organic, but it's also it moves in a way that feels really, really disgusting and uncanny. And I think that that's one of the almost the strong points of, you know, the quote unquote weakness of practical effects, which is is 
that like, oh, it looks like rubber or whatever. I think that that honestly serves the effect in the end because okay. it makes it uncanny. That's um, interesting. I, I mean, I think that the the makeup and this, you know, the this brundle, uh, brundle fly effects and the suits and everything. I mean, obviously, I know that they're rubber, but mm-hmm, I really mm-hmm. don't think that they look. I mean, it really and truly. Oh looks yeah, they're amazing. they're incredibly convincing in this movie. Every yeah. phase looks so good. Now, obviously, it's like I know that it's not real, mm-hmm. but but I'm I, I there is there is something different about my ability to suspend disbelief and be affected by. Let's say, you know, the effects in this film, which are real, they're there, they're on camera. I mean, it's, you know, it's even though it's a rubber suit, I mean, it's real. It's a real person and mm-hmm. there's real things happening. It just seems to me that I am more able to suspend kind of my disbelief and and settle into the story and be there than if it were like an, an animated object. Right. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. If it, I, I, and I, I'm not sure why that is exactly. And there's, I, there's movies that use CG very well. Um, you know, there's there's movies that have have blended those two. Th- Again, Finch, Fincher Park. uses CGI quite well because yeah, he it, it, uses it to augment things very subtly. Yeah, and and the and you know again Jurassic Park, which would have come out you know seven years after this, um, which you know kind of ushered in wasn't the first movie to use major cg effects um james cameron had used them uh in in some of his movies in the 80s but um i think that the the like you look at a movie like that where it's like okay you've got practical real i mean compare the first jurassic park to a movie like the new jurassic parks or something like that where all the dinosaurs are cg or even if they are practical dinosaurs they're all enhanced by Mm -hmm. you know computer effects or something like that and they feel way less real, whereas I think the fact that you that the CG was used sparingly or only really used in instances where you couldn't have used anything else, like the full um, the full body the full body huge shots, you know yeah. fifty foot tall whatever right um, you know that to me is where CG like I'm not a completely anti CG person I think that there's as with anything there's there's uses for every tool yeah however in a movie like this I think that had they gone the easy route which I mean if it was made today easy route would be of course cg um as you said i think it would lose the the visceralness it would you lose the texture and the 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 performances would suffer for it and i think the fact that it's actually jeff goldblum like i think that the discomfort he probably felt getting in that makeup yeah adds so much and i'm I'm sure you've got the experience as well and i've got this experience is that when when I would do, um, you know, theater or even some film stuff where it was like the costume was really uncomfortable or like I remember one time I was I was just playing this old man and I like put cotton balls in my mouth mm-hmm. and it was and I had this like really like uncomfortable costume on and this wig and that to me made my performance so much better because I was able to use that discomfort in the performance and sort of hobble in and feel like I was an old man who's back ached and, and who yeah. couldn't speak well, properly because sure. I had I cotton mean, in my mouth. And um, yeah, I feel I've like even, Jeff Goldblum's performance really, you know, plays off of that. I've even had like a lot of like makeup and special effects stuff. And I did a, I had a whole thing where I had like a false eye that popped out of my head in a mm-hmm. film that I did and, had like these boils on my body that I like had to cut off and it was like totally body humor or humor, body horror. And <laughs> yeah. also depending on who you're talking to, depends on yeah. who you're talking to, yeah. but you know, just like this oozy wet, you know, fleshy, yeah. like body horror kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean to have that stuff actually there makes all the difference in the world from a, an actor's performance because it's like, you, you know, you can see it, you can touch it. It's, it's, it's real. And, um, even though it's it's like 
uh, makeup, it's like, it's such a small step for your mind to be like, this is real, right? Just like you were mm-hmm. saying, you know, it's like, I, even if you're an actor and you put on a costume, like, you know, it's not your clothes, but the, the jump to make that your, your clothes is such a small one, you know, but I, you know, it's just a much bigger divide to be like this tennis ball is a dragon or something, you know, it, and that's, mm-hmm. you can do it. Yeah. I mean, the imagination can do all kinds of things. And there are people out there who are quite skilled at, at green screen acting. But I just think that, you know, uh, in the grand scheme of things, it seems to yeah. me that practical effects seem to, I, 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 maybe it's just personal. I just prefer them. And maybe that's because I grew up with them. Um, it'll be exciting to see where CGI goes. Obviously, this is going to, it's a work in progress and they're going to continue to refine that. And who knows where that's going to lead? You know, that it's, it, mm-hmm. it we're and still there's some of, really exciting stuff with like the, yeah. the augmented reality that they're doing now with the LED screens. And I think that's really neat. Right. But I think that the reason that's neat is because it's kind of bringing it back to the classic element of like actors being able to see where they are, what they're yeah. acting against and stuff like that. I think that's what works for, for that um and you've almost also seen kind of a renaissance of practical effects lately as well that like a lot of the new you know for better or for worse the new star wars movies have used a lot of practical effects yeah and um you know some of the the like big blockbusters have kind of brought that back um which is which is nice to see i mean and it's not to say too like this movie i'm sure that you know because they have that rotating set so that you know brundle can climb on the walls that's right the rotisserie for when he can yeah so so at the end there's a there's a bit when he's on the roof or the ceiling and um Gina Davis is like talking to him. Of course, that's two different sets. You know, she's standing on yep. the one that's upright and he's he's upside down. So it's not yep. like they shot those where she's actually looking at him. So there's always going to be a level of suspension of disbelief for the actors to be able to go. To- of course. Like yeah. it's not like, you know, it's not like when they shot that. You had Jeff Goldblum on the roof when you were shooting her single. Well, well this even um, happened. This happens all the time, even when you're not, you know, I mean, it's yeah, like a yeah. lot of times, uh, depending on where you're shooting, I mean, you shoot somebody's close ups and then you switch to the other side. And if, you know, let's say like you're a, a, a five line co-star on a TV show and the other person <laughs> is the star of the show. You may not even they may just walk off the set and you, you've got yeah. to like do your lines to the PA or something. I mean, yeah. uh, this happens all the time. And, and, it, and but having the, the the initial, you know, even just the fact that Gina Davis knows what he was supposed to look like there and yeah. can see that and can feel that. And, and oh, there's some that, great you know, behind the scenes footage on the Blu-ray. Which, yeah, I've got to check that out. Yeah, I, I highly recommend. I mean, it's it's just a regular studio release. It's it's nothing fancy, but it has a wonderful commentary track by Cronenberg. And it also has a, a, a two, I, I think with all the little enhancements, it's almost like two and a half hour long uh feature documentary film which is fantastic mm-hmm. but i mean it's it's got all these outtakes of her you know pulling the jaw off near, oh, you know, near that's the really end when she yeah pulls that scene is off. gross too oh man i mean i mean it's like yeah. I, I i i i mean she is genuinely genuinely freaked out you know it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> it's like you are really i mean it's disgusting but that i mean that I just like like as we wrap up here we're talking about the practical effects i do just want to say you know where uh that final transformation where uh, Brundlefly is pulling Gina Davis into the pod and, and it's this final like transformation and there's this molting that occurs where the full-blown insect who is no longer any humanity at all mm-hmm. emerges yeah. from within the, the shell of Brundlefly. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it is the most vi- I mean, 
I would have to say that even, uh, I the mean, flesh is just like falling off of them. Yeah. I think it even eclipses anything that's in the thing, which I feel like is mm-hmm. one of the, the you know, absolute Best. pinnacles yeah. of, of practical physical effects and makeup. I think I would agree. No, I yeah. think, I think that the effects in this film actually do. I agree with you. I think that, that, that even the, the earlier stuff, yeah. I think that the attention to detail on that, the thing looks fantastic. Yeah. But I think the thing, because it's so fantastical, still kind of there's there's levels where you're like, oh, okay, I can see how they did that. Yeah. This movie is is such an incredible mix of effects. But but again, even even you know, going with that but like you know, Gina Davis pulling off the thing and she's actually pulling the jaw off. Like when we were shooting Daylight, which we discussed this in the last episode, there's the scene what we shot in the um in like the cellar. And it was like dusty and dark and like dank, and and it was just this, and you know the our our lead actress Rio, um, like we had to keep spraying like glycerin on her yeah, to yeah, get yeah. the sweat and stuff. Yeah. And by the end of the shoot, we didn't even need to because it would be had this this whole day in this like dusty dungeon essentially. And I think had we shot that on a like a soundstage or or like built a set for that, it would have had a completely different. Yeah. Um, effect. Whereas the fact that we were actually in these tunnels and the like, real, you know, this real cellar that was that was dusty and and really not the, you know, cleanest best For place sure. to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that added to so much of the feel and the texture of that I'm scene. Sure, no doubt. Um, yeah. And so it's you know again I see that so much in this where it's like the Gina Davis being able to pull the jaw off of, of, yeah. of Brundlefly. Um, and it's this really that 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 scene is so incredibly oh, done. Oh, oh gosh! Um, and if you haven't seen this, I know we've kind of you know spoiled the movie, but if you haven't seen, I it, mean, it's ridiculous. If you're listening to this, yeah. If you're listening to this and you've made it to minute fifty eight and you haven't yeah. seen this film from nineteen eighty six, what in the world are you doing? I yes. mean, look, yeah, we I guess appreciate you. Might, you. Well, maybe they really like to hear us talk. <laughs> maybe, maybe, and we and don't get me wrong, we appreciate you, but yeah, go see the film. It is absolutely, I think, not only is it a great story and you know we we have focused a lot on the practical effects because obviously that's one of the things that really stands out from the film um and it's fun to talk about it um but but there is a lot more to this film than that great Mm -hmm. performances great score a lot uh, of subtlety in in storytelling really interesting themes and um and yeah it's just and it's fun to see a, a young jeff goldblum doing his kind of cool scientist thing before he really honed in on that in Jurassic Park and that kind of became like his thing you know for a while um and Gina Davis is fantastic as well and uh that's kind of this is before she went on to you know I think was it League of Her Own League of Their Own and Thelma and Louise and she became you know a leading lady and a big actress in her own right too mm-hmm. um so this is like a little earlier in both of their careers but uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, and hey, you know, Canada, right? What more can you ask for in a film? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Toronto. Like, Nothing else to add. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, yeah. well, Cullen, as always, man, it was a pleasure. This is like a fantastic choice. Uh, I, so great selection. It was a blast to watch this again and discuss it. Yeah, it's a fantastic it. movie, yeah. Yeah, and everybody else out there, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion of The Fly. Until next time, everybody, have a wonderful week. Thank you.